everybody, and welcome to yet another edition of the Association NBA Podcast. It is the evening of February 25th, 2018. My name is Sam Ruthier. Here with me, as he is every week, is Tommy Wood. Tommy, what's up, man? Not much, man. How's, how's it going? Pretty good. Ready to ready to break down the week in the NBA. It After the All-Star break, it's when a lot of people really start paying attention to this stuff. It's when these playoff races really intensify. Um, yeah. And it, it, it's actually been a, a significant NBA Newsweek in more ways than just what's going on on the court. There was the uh, bombshell report from Sports Illustrated uh, about five days ago it was now about, uh, let's see, the title was Inside the Corrosive Workplace Culture of the Dallas Mavericks. I also saw it around places as a, a real-life animal house was a quote that got pulled from it a lot. Basically, pretty uh, incredible reporting from L. John Wertheim and Jessica Luther, but some pretty hard stuff to read through. Um, starting with the guy who is the president and CEO for a long time in Dallas, Terdima Ussery, um, just a lot of allegations of some really heinous behavior from him um, and some attempts from the people that he behaved inappropriately toward to correct that that uh, were basically ignored or, or responded to from the Dallas Mavericks HR with basically threats. Um, so that was huge. What... Uh, I don't know where you want to start with this. It's pretty big. It's, it's pretty uh, explosive and not anything we've seen in the NBA before to this degree. Well, I think first and foremost, you got to give credit to Jessica Luther here. She's one of the best uh, and, and L. John Wertheim, but Jessica Luther is probably the best in the business at this uh, reporting on this, you know, horrible topic. Um, she's done it for a long time. She was on top of the uh, Baylor uh, Ray cases from the beginning. Um, so you got to give a lot of credit to her. Um, she's spoken about how like, you know, it's emotionally draining and it can't be easy to keep breaking story after story, um, about shit like this that happens. Um, but it, you know, it sucks that we still see stories like this coming out. Um, and it sucks that it probably for every one workplace that like this, that gets revealed, there's probably, four or five more just like it that we don't know about. Um, and I, I think, you know, if you're the league, you have to do something uh, to show uh, the Mavericks that this is, you know, intolerable. Um, and I don't know what that is. Uh, do, what do you think should happen here? Um, you know, just in terms of league intervention and punishment, um, do you think, you know, they could – lose draft picks. I hope it's more than something like a fine. Um, you know, this seeing stuff like this pisses me off, and I hope there's there are some serious consequences. It's a good question of how the league should take action with Dallas in particular. Um, I'm sure that's going to take some time. I'm sure there's a lot of conversations happening right now about that. Uh, for me, really, I, I hadn't considered the... I mean, I saw it floated around a little bit, but if they lose draft picks, that's huge in the NBA where there's only two rounds to have one of your draft picks stripped is a significant asset that you're losing. Um, I thought it was in the realm of a fine, but I also, as crazy as it would be for them to get a draft pick taken away, these are extremely serious uh, allegations. And clearly this was so thoroughly reported, I don't doubt any single thing in that story happened and it should all be taken extremely seriously. And, uh, you know, I mean, it. I remember that day, once it broke, I immediately started seeing multiple quotes from Mark Cuban saying, like, this is disgusting, I can't believe this happened, I'm taking this with the utmost seriousness, like, it's. I'm embarrassed, it's happened under my watch. I mean, yeah, they're great quotes, and I'm sure he feels terrible, but this is a company this guy owns. At some level, he is responsible for the culture and what's happening, and I have a hard time believing somebody as hands-on as him didn't recognize this kind of behavior from his president and CEO and never heard any inklings of that. Um, where do you stand with Cuban's role? Yeah, well, it would have been nice if he had taken it so seriously back when some of the victims were reporting uh, this harassment to HR, you know, and then when HR did nothing about it. Um, and, you know, I think he's since fired his HR director too. Um, but it's impossible to believe that uh, someone at the top doesn't know about it. And I, I hate to buy a return from the NCAA here, but it's when you talk about lack of institutional control and, and the NCAA 
uh, will lay a smackdown on coaches uh, when their assistants are doing, you know, whatever, um, just because they said it happened under the coach's watch. Uh, you know, you had to have known about it and you're responsible for it. I think you need to hold Cuban to that level of responsibility where even though, you know, at least so far it hasn't seemed like he has not been accused of perpetrating any of this, um, it sounds like he enabled it um, through his inaction, and that's almost as bad. It is definitely. Um, I like that. That and I mean, obviously, I don't like the situation, but I like that analogy a lot. That coaches get punished for things that happen with their assistants. I mean, to a large degree, that's exactly what this is. People under Cuban's watch, ultimately under an organization that he runs, um, running a foul and doing some 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 awful things that they basically got away with scot free. Um, uh, it, it definitely. You know, there's some really long-term repercussions, and I, the NBA. Do you think the, go ahead. Do you think the league make him sell? Do I you don't. Think that's in the realm of possibility. Definitely in the realm of possibility. I don't believe they would just because of his reputation. This isn't something where things have piled up on Cuban year after year after year, like with Donald Sterling. This is kind of out of the blue. And yeah, sure, he's a uh, owner who doesn't always have the most popular opinions, but he also always seemed to be a guy who did things more or less the right way. Um, I mean, who knows? Maybe more will come out about this and it will become more clear that he turned a blind eye and and maybe it will get there. Uh, right now, where do you stand on that, though? I think that's kind of unlikely, too. But more than Donald Sterling, I equate this to uh, the Bruce Levinson situation, the former owner of the Atlanta Hawks, uh-huh. who was forced to sell after uh, some emails he'd sent out kind of denigrating the team's uh, black fan base were revealed. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, never quite caught the, you know, the hysteria of the, of the Sterling situation, even though, you know, it was some more reprehensible, um, racist stuff from an NBA owner, but, you know, Livingston was forced to sell after that. That makes me think, you know, maybe Adam Silver wouldn't, uh, you know, wouldn't hesitate to pull the trigger as much as you think he would, um, with as entrenched and respected an owner as Cuban has been. Um, I don't know. That's uh, I, I would still lean toward it being unlikely, though. Yeah. Um, again, to reference the, the Donald Sterling situation, I mean, that was very like early into Silver's tenure as commissioner. And my memory of that time is that there wasn't a hesitation. Silver very clearly was like, this is what's going to happen. He made sure that the Clippers moved hands pretty swiftly. It did not take long for Balmer to get in there. And... Uh, you know, that that he dropped the hammer. So they've already got stuff out about setting up a hotline for all NBA and NBA team employees, taking more closer looks both at this situation and anything else that may come up. Uh, I have no doubt that, that that's only scratching the surface on how he wants to address it and how the NBA will go about addressing any sexual harassment issues, whether it's this one or anything else that comes up. They're the kind of league that... Uh, just very progressive in that way and takes these things incredibly seriously. Um, so yeah, there's going to be some, some punishment. Um, I wonder how long it'll take for them to announce something like that. Cause if we get to the point where the season's almost over, it's really, you know, I know this isn't the most important thing. The most important thing are the people who, whose lives are damaged. But like if you wait till like June to take away a, a draft pick from Dallas and the, the draft is like so soon, you know, that really alters the picture. Whereas if you do it this week, there's a few months. But I don't know. I don't know how it works with the NBA doing their own investigation or things of that nature. Um, yeah. But we'll see. I don't either. I, I think you're right. They do got to wrap this up quickly. Um, you know, just just for resolution's sake. And, and so people can move on as best as they can. So uh, we'll definitely keep an eye on that. And um, not only the the great reporting, but also just uh, there was there was Rachel Nichols did her segment on the jump about it that day, and she had a great take as always on it as well. So plenty plenty of reporting, I'm sure, will continue. Um, moving into the uh, the actual uh, game on the court, we are in this week out of the All Star break, and like I mentioned earlier, starting to see the playoff picture uh, become even more important on a night to night basis. 
Wanted to go into the Western Conference playoff picture because right after Golden State and Houston, mm-hmm. uh, actually you can switch it around one two Houston Golden State. Three to ten is separated by I believe either three or four games, uh, depending on how the games went this evening. So everywhere from San Antonio all the way down to Utah, you barely got any separation. Looks like San Antonio has actually got four games. Uh, yeah, is uh, yeah four. They have four and a half on Utah as of tonight. And they yeah they beat the Cavs tonight. So, uh, but yeah, so you got San Antonio, Minnesota, Portland, New Orleans, Oklahoma City, and Denver three through eight, and then L.A. Clippers and the Jazz. Uh, within a game of each, of each other, and within two games of Denver in the nine and ten, so pretty pretty crowded. Not even just at the bottom, but all the way through the middle on the top. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, just looking at at three through eight. I mean, there are two and a half games between San Antonio and and Denver. Um, so it's almost impossible to to like to, to tell how this is going to shake out. But I wanted to ask you if you could pick the teams out of that group that you trust the most, uh, who would you pick? Um, so I will give you, I will give you three that I trust the absolute most. It's San Antonio, um, Minnesota, even with the Butler injury and Utah, actually. Interesting. Even okay. with, even with Utah on the outside looking in, those are the three that I trust to land. I, I think San Antonio will end up with home court, whether it's three or four. Um, I think Minnesota still makes the playoffs without Butler and, and does fine, and I think Utah will go on not as big of a run as they went on right before the All Star break, but they'll they'll keep it up as long as Mitchell doesn't hit the rookie wall, and I I, I don't see it happening. He's too good. Um, is there is there any kind of separation like that for you? Is are there teams that you like more than either any of those four? Yeah, I like um, San Antonio obviously, but I like OKC and Portland a lot. Um, Portland, they've had a top ten defense all season. I think they're ninth as of tonight. And with Lillard and McCollum, um, you know the fact that they've been able to play defense at a top ten level with those guys on the court. Um, that's that's really something because those uh, either one of them can give you fifty any night. Um, and OKC simply because, uh, Russ PG and Steven Adams are, are that good. Um, and you know, even though they've really been suffering since they lost, uh, Robertson, I, I trust those two guys mostly on talent alone. Um, I don't trust Minnesota at all though. Actually, I, I think that this Butler injury could really, uh, you know, send them in a death spiral, um, especially with, especially with their, Again, they're only two and a half games out of eighth. Um, I just don't think they're good at all without him. Um, what What is it about them that makes you confident uh, that they'll stay stay in the playoff picture? Well, for me, it's it's a couple things. First of all, last night seeing Jeff Teague immediately be like, "All right, Butler's gone. I'm gonna pour it in," and he led the team with 25 points. Um, I just think where you know they lose Butler, of course, they lose their best player, but. Wing is not exactly a huge a huge issue in terms of I mean Jeff Teague's obviously a, a point guard but but ball handlers rather and scoring players they have no loss of those between Teague Wiggins and Towns those are three options right there that can take up a lot of uh, your scoring and your offense and still be pretty pretty uh, you know high caliber to a certain degree or, or passable um, also the fact that the time frame on this I know after the surgery today and things everyone's saying indefinite indefinite but it came out pretty much as soon as they said that it was a meniscus tear that uh, he thinks he'll be back for the playoffs. Um, there's optimism around it that he'll be back. I think having that beacon, like, we haven't made the playoffs in 13 years, but our best player is going to be back. All we got to do is make sure we get that spot. I think that means a lot to to a team, and I think it'll mean a whole lot to the guys in that locker room who a uh, few of them have been there for a few years and been through some lean times. And... Uh, I think Thibs knows how to rally his guys. Tibbs. I, people call him Thibs, but it's, I, I don't know. I'll never know. I don't it even look, know if yeah, he knows. It looks like it. Looks like Thibs. Um, you know, I hope, you know, I, I hope he can come back. If he comes back, it, he can play at his, at the level he was playing at this year. Um, I'm worried about him getting rushed back too quickly. Uh, that's something Tibbs would absolutely do. And Butler's been a really tough guy his entire career, but I, I mean, I do worry about him. 
just with the minutes he's played year after year after year. Um, but I also really worry about this T-Wolves defense without him on the court. Um, and I, I don't doubt that they could fill in uh, at least most of his scoring between Teague and Towns. Um, but defensively, they drop from 25th to worst when he is off the court. And uh, as per NBA.com, um, when Wiggins and Towns play without Butler, the T-Wolves defensive rating is 121.7. Oh, so gosh. good luck with that. All right. I mean, that's that's scary, man. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I worry, too, that Wiggins might just take over too much of the offense. I mean, he's been such an inefficient chucker this year. He's at 50% true shooting um, with uh, higher usage than Towns, um, who has who is 14 percentage points better in true shooting. It's 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 ridiculous. Um, so that's another thing that worries me is that Wiggins might see this as his opportunity to just take all the shots on the wing uh, instead of half of them. I mean, everything you're saying, like I I don't have a strong rebuttal for because it, it it's all valid. The defense will be worse, and Wiggins is a guy who likes to do his Kobe. And yeah, we <laughs> we could see him get mm-hmm. get pretty inefficient there. To make things even, you know, worse, worse for my argument, they've got a pretty uh, competitive schedule coming up. Where the first couple, the, their first five games in March are Portland, Utah, Boston, Golden State, and Washington, and San Antonio, Houston, Clippers, uh, all teams that are currently in the playoff pictures until you get to the Clippers um, and above five hundred. So I don't care. I think Towns is going to take it, take it to the next level. I think he's going to he bring, bring the best out of his teammates. I know he is. I know he yeah. is. Um, he's got a lot of work still to do on defense, but I I am excited to see Carl grab the keys for a couple weeks here. Um, I wanted to ask you about the Thunder. Um, I got to watch a fair bit of their game with Golden State last night, and Golden State ended up pulling away and winning. Um, yeah. Man, dude, Carmelo is not the Carmelo Anthony of old. You said uh, you think Paul George, Russell Westbrook, and Stephen Adams are that good, and I agree. But Carmelo Anthony's been that bad lately. I uh, I don't know where do, where do you sit with how his fit is with the Thunder? Yeah, well, you you noticed I didn't include his name. Yeah, uh, I was listing all the guys I, I like on the Thunder. Um, you know, it just it hasn't worked all season, and. Uh, it's at the point where he's not hitting his spot-up threes and he's not getting to the line at all, uh, which he did fairly well even you know late in his New York days. Yeah, uh, that just that doesn't work. He's he's just not a useful player, and you can just attack him on defense whenever he's out there. Um, so he's really kind of a negative value at this point, um, and it you know it sucks because they're kind of forced to to give him minutes. Um, they don't really have. Uh, you know anyone else to start at the four unless they want to try to move in Jeremy Grant? What about Pat Pat? Pat Pat, that'd be going pretty big. Um, and he hasn't exactly been stellar this year either. No, I, I like the idea of a healthy Pat Pat, but <laughs> maybe you start Jeremy Grant, but then does Melo become a? Uh, you know, does he become a malcontent if he gets sent to the bench? I don't know. Uh, despite all of that, um, again, I think between Russ and PG, they have two. You know, top. 12 players in the league at worst. And uh, as much as I, I rag on Westbrook sometimes, he's really, really good. Um, and I think that kind of gives them, I think he, they give them an advantage in close games. And I think, uh, you know, I, I think, I think they'll stay in. Um, I think New Orleans, you know, even though they've been playing, they've won five in a row without Bogey now, but I don't think that's going to sustain I think they're going to drop out, and that's. I could see your Jazz. Um, I wanted to ask you what you know you like so much about them, but I could see the Jazz rising up um, if a team like the Pelicans falls out. Yeah, I think uh, they just are are keeping this great momentum. Um, I think the Jay Crowder acquisition is a huge part of it too. He clearly was like we said when the trade happened was pumped to be there, and I think he's shown it so far. Just in in already he's averaging twenty eight minutes per game for them without having any understanding of the system, just kind of running out there and playing. Um, 
as long as they can stay healthy, I mean, I know it's tough to keep Gobert and, and or Favors or like Rubio or anybody. Somebody always seems to have some level of injury, but uh, I just like it, man. They play an exciting style of basketball to watch. Uh, if, when you maybe not like the Warriors, but uh, said someone who enjoys the the tries to enjoy the finer things of the NBA. Um, they're locked in. They're all very engaged. Um, they've got some anchors on both ends of the floor with Gobert on defense, and Mitchell already can be someone who can be relied upon on offense. So um, they're already a little battle-tested in the way that they came out stumbling and then corrected the ship and now have it within grasp. I like the direction they're heading in. Yeah, I like what you said about Crowder. I don't think he was used properly in Cleveland. And when you think about the offense that uh, Quinn Snyder runs in Utah, it's much more similar to Brad Stevens offense in, uh, in Boston than to the one Jay just came from. Uh, It's more like egalitarian. There's more off ball movement. Um, I think Jay is probably going to touch the ball more, even if he doesn't shoot more, you know, just in the course of a possession between passing or or, or doing a dribble handoff or running weave. Um, And I think that kind of means a lot to him. I think that keeps him more engaged on offense because you look at what he did with the Cavs this year and he would be, he would run to his spot and he would stand there until, you know, LeBron passed him the ball or not. And that was it. Um, I don't think Ty Lue, I think Ty Lue is a good X's and O's coach, um, but for the system they run where everything revolves around LeBron, um, you know, it's, they don't really do anything conducive to, you know, kind of accentuating the better talents of role players the way Utah and Boston do. Yeah, no, it's, I think it's a good point just about the differences. Some players, it's cool. Like, JR works well with LeBron because they don't really need to draw too much shit up for JR. They just give him the ball in weird situations and he takes threes and doesn't care. Like, yeah. Jay Crowder is just not going to work that way. Like he 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 clearly thrives when there's some rhyme or reason to what's going on. Yeah. Um. So, the one other squad is one I mentioned earlier that I like and I trust, which is San Antonio, and I like them for their track record, even though they've been on a slide of late. Um. Kind of wanted to ask you real quick where you stand on them and where you stand on on Kawhi and when we're going to see Kawhi play basketball again. You know, I hope it's this year. I hope he can just come back and be himself more than anything. Um, you know, it's if he's holding himself out, you know, maybe he doesn't think he's ready. Um, you know, maybe he's not. I mean, maybe he's not holding himself out. Maybe what, you know, was reported out of the, uh, you know, kind of pretty obviously leaked from the Spurs camp about him being medically cleared is, I, I don't know. It, the whole situation seems, seems weird to me, and... I just hope he gets back on the court as soon as possible. Um, for San Antonio, though, I mean, they're, they're 36 and 25 right now. Um, do you think this might be the year they don't win 50 games? Like, just off the top of my head, uh, you know, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, try- I'm looking up how many games uh, they have left. But, yeah, I mean, they, they have 21 games left. They would have to go fourteen and I, well, I could see them going fourteen and seven over their next uh, twenty-one, but it's going to be close. Um, they've won fifty games or one out of fifty win pace um, every year since uh, Tim Duncan's rookie year. So it's you know that would be crazy, but you know even if they don't pull out fifty, I think uh, I think they're obviously going to stay in the make the playoffs, even if they're a lower seed than third. Um, they just, you know, ex- they they just execute too well. Um, they're even without Kawhi, they're still fairly talented. Lamarcus has been playing really well. Um, they're getting Rudy Gay back. I think he might have come back uh, uh, tonight. Um, without Kawhi, they're not a threat. They're not a contender in the playoffs. Um, and I'd be kind of happy to play them in the first round. Um, but just as far as piling up regular season wins and, you know, exploiting teams' weaknesses, uh, I think they're pretty much a lock to stay in. Yeah. Um, 
That is, I didn't realize that they were that close to the 50 win pace, so that'll be interesting to watch. Um, they've certainly got plenty of incentive to try and get there as close as possible because that, as we've been talking a lot about the last 10 minutes, will have a huge factor for them in seeding. 49 wins could mean the 8 seed, 51 min- wins could win the 3 seed. It's starting to look like that may be how close it is all the way to the end. Uh, you're right, Rudy Gay came back tonight and played 16 minutes. Off the bench. He was plus 10, even though he only went 2 for 8. So, good job, Rudy. Um, Manu was a DNP coach's decision. Interesting. Probably just rest. Being I old, would, being 40. Yeah. Um, oh, but, well, according to uh, basketball reference, he has a bruised sternum, which uh, sounds pretty painful. That sounds incredibly painful. Um, so, there's your answer right there. But... I would love a scenario where they end up in like the whatever spot, and then all of a sudden Kawhi's just like, "I'm back, bitches!" and like he's really back. <laughs> like he shows up and he's actually doing Kawhi like last year, and then all of a sudden they're this crazy wrench in the the playoffs, wherever they're seated. Um, I don't know. No, nobody's saying like, "Oh, Kawhi's coming back next week." Everyone's saying like, "It's a it's a long term thing. We don't know. We're just taking our time with it." So yeah. Sounds like uh, where you are at, where we probably won't see him. Or that's where I'm at. You you sounded optimistic yeah. or hopeful it's that he'd a, it's come back. It's a fucking mystery, man. I'm not, and I'm not ready for all this talk of. I think it was Kevin Pelton who said uh, suggested that he may have played his last game with the Spurs. Yeah, I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready for Kawhi to leave San Antonio. I I want him to come back. Um, I can't think of him anywhere else. No, dude. It's it is weird to imagine. Silent Kawhi, silent superstar Kawhi, like existing in any other, you know, like he's the Uber version of Paul Millsap. Like Paul Millsap was the silent star <laughs> yeah, in Atlanta and now in Denver and in Utah even before. But Kawhi is like way better and like way quieter somehow. Like, and it just works perfectly in San Antonio. So, yeah, there's definitely been, been, uh, you know, we've seen reports not just about the injury, but even before that. One just a couple weeks ago, even longer ago, there was stuff about just tension between Kawhi's camp and the Spurs. Whoever Kawhi's camp is, his uncle and his Nike rep, and whoever gets him the free Wingstop coupons. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, man, that would be quite the trade haul. But I think the Spurs would be incredibly reluctant to trade him and would have enough faith in their institutional integrity to... to Get the, get the kid to see the light, but who knows? Maybe he's heading up the river walk. Oof. Yeah. Or as uh, as Charles Barkley says, there's no rivers in Texas. Why does he say that? There are rivers in Texas. I don't know. Maybe it's because he grew up on the Mississippi. I oh. just his I, I I'm tired of Charles Stick, but his constant shit talking of San Antonio is one thing <laughs> I'll always get up for. Um <laughs> As far as Kawhi goes, uh, I think it's going to be really interesting if, uh, like, the Spurs don't offer him the DPE this offseason. That will be a whoa moment, you know, when when Keanu Reeves first realizes what he's capable of in the Matrix. <laughs> uh, same thing if if uh, they offer it and Kawhi turns it down. That'll be a whoa moment. Um, then you'll think, okay, maybe, maybe he's gone. But uh, until that happens, and, and even if that happens, I don't want to believe it. I can't believe it. No, no, me neither. And part of that is because even as all that's happened, they've still managed to, to put together a, a pretty Spursy season with the parts they have. So feels like this will yeah. have a Spursy end to it, which is where everybody will just make up and Pop and Kawhi will have a, a glass of Chianti and then <laughs> life will go on. Um, but uh, we're talking about all these teams that are potentially competitive in the West and there's more of them than there are potential playoff spots. And just this past week, Zach Lowe wrote a pretty in-depth article about some possible restructuring in the NBA playoffs that is being seriously considered. Now, it's something that people like to talk about all the time. Um, Bill Simmons, for the last decade, has had his entertaining as hell tournament where the bottom of the league plays a tournament for the last two spots in the playoffs or whatever, what have you. Um, there's two different ideas here that have gotten a lot of attention in the last week or so. One is something that Adam Silver talked directly about um, in his press conference at All-Star Weekend, restructuring just 1 through 16 regardless of conference. 
The other one is the idea of that Zach Lowe spent more time on in his article, perhaps uh, play-in games where teams from 7 to 10 in each conference had single-game eliminations to determine who the 7 and 8 seeds are. 7 versus 10, 8 versus 9, 7 versus 8, 9 versus 10, whatever you want. Um, But those single-game eliminations determine the last two picks. Um, Pretty interesting stuff, in my opinion. I'm for basically all of it, but I don't know what's actually feasible, what could happen in the near future. Where are you with it? Is there one you like more than the other? Do you think there's something else that should be discussed that hasn't been? I'm all here for the uh, 1 through 16 seeding. I think that should have been done a long time ago. Um, you know, ever since, uh, what, the 2014 Suns missed the playoffs with 48 wins, uh, even before that, there was a season back when Melo, I, I think it was 2008, um, where all eight West playoff teams had 50 wins. Yep. Uh, it, it's, it's absurd. So, yeah, that, that system should be in place a long time ago. Um, I've always liked the entertaining as hell tournament idea in theory, but the more I think about it, you'd just be shuffling out, um, you know, instead of, you know, two teams to in each conference that get pummeled by the, their respective top two seeds. Um, you're adding two more teams into the mix, and I really don't think that changes anything. Um, the one thing from Zach Lowe's article about that that uh, really that I really liked though was the idea of expanding the lottery. Uh, I think it wouldn't be such a bad idea if, you know, the top, uh, if the seventh and eighth season in each conference, or even, you know, the 14 through 18, or I guess the, the 12 through 16, if you're just doing this straight uh, one through 16 seating, if there are just 18 lottery slots in general, I think that would be a good idea. And I think it might um, reverse, not, not reverse, but I think it might stop tanking uh, a little bit if you can, get into the playoffs and still have, you know, whatever the lowest percentage chance of getting into the lottery, uh, of moving up to the lottery is, um, you know, because any chance is a chance. And I, I don't know about you. I'd rather have the like 17th or 18th pick with that than without that. Um, so that's that's the one thing I really liked about that. What about you? I like anything that, gives teams more incentive to spend money even if a championship is not necessarily happening this year or next year. There's been this huge divide over the last few years where teams spend a bunch of money and they're in the luxury tax at the very top, and then teams barely hit the salary floor at the bottom and are doing everything to shed salary and suck. The... um, and I don't think that being you know me, being mediocre in the NBA has become like this dirty thing. And I don't think it's it's fair in a lot of ways because a lot of teams being mediocre is a stepping stone to becoming good. But also beyond that, um, for these teams to exist in their like metropolitan areas, like it, it's really damaging for them to suck as bad as teams have to suck to successfully tank. Like think about teams like Atlanta, who right now is really stripping it bare and going for it, like. That hurts. Like, it took them a while yeah. to build up the place. And it was so cool when they had the crazy 60-win Hawks team and even the teams in the years before and after that when they were still just a decent playoff team. Like, Atlanta cared about them. And now they've got nothing to care about as this team sucks really bad right now. Um, you know, if you think about, like, if Utah decided they were going to tank, that'd be catastrophic. And that would, you know, be a long-term thing they'd have to kind of recover from. Uh not every team has the luxury of being Philadelphia where your sports fans are diehards and they'll come back when you're good just because you know it's going to happen. Like, I think it's really... Um, anyway, I, I finished the ramble with I love giving teams incentives to not have to have 20-win seasons. The more 30- to 40-win seasons we can have instead of 20-25-win to 25 win seasons just means more quality basketball. Um and I think that honestly, teams will realize it's it's just better for your culture and for your roster top to bottom to to have something to strive for because it's just so weird. And I can't imagine what that culture is like when you know your team is trying to lose, but you're still playing on the team. It's got to just put you in such a weird headspace. Yeah, it it does. And I think to a certain extent, it's possible to you know play with winning habits. 
Um, even if you have little talent, I, I look at the way Atlanta is playing right now, even if, even though they're stripped bare, um, and this is really thanks to coach Bud, they've, you know, just played solid fundamental basketball all season, the same way Brooklyn, um, you know, has played the right way all season, even though they don't have the talent, um, you know, and Philly was the same way up until now when they're actually, when they, when they do have the talent. Um, but I think that, you know, that only works to an extent and with Philly, um, they just had to cycle players in and out of there one because they weren't good, but two, because, um, I think it takes a certain type of mental toughness to, uh, play through so many years of losing and come out, uh, you know, okay on the other side, uh, regardless of the way your team played, uh, or not. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I think you're right too, you know, in that way. Um, and I just like anything too, that really injects more variance into the game. Um, so I, that's why I, I would be in support of expanding the lottery and, 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 the entertaining as hell tournament or whatever the NBA would call it would be greater variance too. Um, at least in terms of who's in the playoffs. I just don't think it would shake up, uh, you know, the actual playoff picture. I don't think some team is going to move up from 10 to eight and suddenly, you know, use that momentum to knock off the one seed that to me, that's a little, uh, unbelievable, but you know, it, it might make the end of the regular season more fun. So who knows? Yeah, you're definitely right. At the end of the day, the difference between a one seed and an eight seed is just huge, and it's even bigger between a one seed and a ten seed. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Other like quick hits are are with that. Some people like to say first round could be more exciting if it's five games instead of seven because then smaller sample I'm size. That too. You like that? You'd rather have the yeah. five. Um, it does, you know, that first couple weeks just goes on forever, and it's all these yeah, series that just suck. It's a bunch of sweeps. Um, even the games yeah. that go six or seven, usually it's just not very good matchups. So uh, yeah, I'd be had, for it too. You had a series like like the Bulls-Celtics uh, first round series last year where you knew the Celtics were going to win, and, you know, the Bulls just took those two games before Rondo got hurt, and uh, after that it was just a formality, and yet it had to go six games because – uh, that's how many the Celtics needed to win. Um, yeah, I think anything that was short in the playoffs, there's no reason they should be ending like mid June. Um, I think that, I mean, that'd probably take a good week off of the playoffs, which would be a good thing. And then you would see more variance too. I mean, we've seen two eight seeds knock off a one in this current format, and we hadn't seen that many, uh, in the previous format, but it theoretically would be more possible. Um, you know, and there are other things you could do to, to change that. Maybe you could, uh, instead of making it a, a two, uh, like a two, two, one, uh, format, you could give the uh, higher seed four home games. Um, uh, there are a lot of ways to make that work. I, I think that would be a good idea though. Me too. It's tough once you've, you know, they've got all these years now with the seven game series and they know what the profit looks like for that and obviously with less playoff games there'll be less profit on a league and team-wide basis and that changes the tv deal or whatever but i i think if you're just looking at the game and the product and what's most entertaining to the fans five game series in the first round no doubt um after the playoffs though there's uh another another race that is happening towards the bottom of the league that we just wanted to I update real race. quick. Um, this, is, I, this is my favorite. The the tanking is is crazy right now. Phoenix outright has the top pick, but then the next four teams are actually all tied right now for, for two through five. Dallas, Atlanta, Orlando, and Sacramento. And then not far after them are Memphis, Brooklyn, Chicago. Um, and then you're starting to get a little more distance with like kind of Chicago, like with the Knicks, the Lakers. Uh, Charlotte, but a lot of shitty teams right now, especially those top five. Um, any any favorites to be the shittiest? To, to My favorites to be the shittiest. Suck dick for yeah. Dockage? That's, that's pretty profane. I'm sorry. I I have uh, <laughs> I have I have a lot actually. That's that's what makes this so hard. Is there are so many teams that are so bad. I'm I'm gonna tell you the teams who I think will rise to the cream of the, uh, well, shit. You know heap. I mean. Yeah. Cream of the shit. Um, <laughs> I think Dallas, uh, 
is going to rise a little bit. Um, just looking at their expected win loss, um, on, uh, basketball reference, uh, they have underperformed their, uh, win differential by, I believe three games. Um, I could see them climbing, you know, making a few of those up in the last, uh, in these last few weeks. Um, plus again, they're another one of those teams that even though they suck, they play the right way. Um, and I could see Atlanta for the exact same reasons, uh, just because they do have a little bit more talent unless they shut down, uh, Schroeder and Bazemore. Um, and they, and they just play the right way regardless. Um, but pretty much everyone else, uh, Phoenix is just horrendous. Sacramento is horrendous. Uh, Memphis, if they shut down Gasol or Tyreek, is going to fall off a cliff. Um, oh, my God. Yes. And then Orlando, too, is just, you know, if they might – I could see them shutting Aaron Gordon down and, uh, you know, or maybe just playing Aaron Aflalo a ton of minutes these last few weeks and they could really hit the tubes too that like do you have anyone who you, who's your favorite to you know finish finish with the best odds because it seems to me like you have we have six teams with 18 wins and you know other than those two i talked about the hawks and and, and the Mavs. to me you know those remaining four are just equally shitty and i have no idea who is going to finish worst or the best yeah i like your point of view with dallas i could totally see like dennis smith hits the rookie wall hard Dirk is very old and that's it like and they're just terrible um i mean they're already terrible but even more so um i don't know i don't feel like that that would happen like i, I feel like we'll see schroeder and bays and whoever else stick around um you never know with the kings man the wheels could just fall all the way off. But it's crazy to look at, like, the Knicks and the Lakers with 24 and 25 wins, and it's like, well, shit, they're out. Like, the best either of those teams is getting is, like, the 7th or the 8th pick. Tanking is that competitive this year. And definitely also I don't think that Brooklyn will be down there at the end of the year because there's just too much incentive for them, and they seem pretty pretty well coached. Incentive to not give a shit about the lottery, that is. So I'm with you with Dallas. I'll take Sacramento as my dark horse. Um, I'll yeah. Pre- I'll presume Gasol stays on the court in Memphis because if he doesn't, then definitely they're down there as well. Um, and I'll – I say Gordon stays on the court in Orlando as well. Coming into his restricted free agency year, I think he and his agents or whoever would have an absolute fit if they decided to take him off the court at this time in his they career. They probably would. You know, so. Yeah. Uh, it'll be fun to watch though, man. It's going to be – Pretty anti-competitive. You want to know something great? Yes. So, do you know who the two luckiest teams are in the NBA this season in terms of outperforming uh, their projected win, that uh, their projected win differential on uh, in terms of Pythagorean wins? I have no idea. I don't even have a guess. Sacramento and Phoenix. So are they're two- even. They're way better than they're supposed to be. Uh, yeah, they they have both won three more games than they're expected to, uh, by in terms of their point differential. It's hideous. Uh, they both have the point differential of a fifteen win team. So, just think about that. You know, think about De'Aaron Fox's game winning tip dunk a couple weeks ago. Uh, you know, stealing one for them there. Think about um, they a couple of the other ones they they pulled out because they have guys like Fox and Bogdanovich who can you know kind of hit a a shot under duress um, and Phoenix too, having Devin Booker on the court. Like think about, you know, of these teams, few wins, how many of those are just because they have a couple singular talents and otherwise they would have a total head start in the tanking race. That is wild. And uh, they both have had some close finishes that went in, in the right way or the wrong way, depending on how you look <laughs> at it. But um God, remember <laughs> when Phoenix beat uh, Memphis on, the, with, on the that dunk? Uh, the Tyson Chandler. That was sick, dude. Play. Yeah. On the inbounds, <laughs> he literally just went yeah. up there and he was pumped about it. And it's like, oh, my God, Tyson yeah. Chandler's still in the league. Like, geez. Yeah, they handed <laughs> – that was literally giving the Grizzlies a leg up on them in, in the in the tankathon. It's That's I, too I, funny. I, I love this. 
<laughs> Man, well, oh, it, it it will remain compelling to be sure. Um, real quick, hey, what do you think about Sean Miller? Do you think he's ever going to coach basketball again? Yeah, I think I think he will. At Arizona? Not at Arizona. Do you think he'll do I the? Think... Who's the guy who went to SMU? Larry Brown. Yeah, I, I see him doing a Larry Brown. Yeah, I think I think coaching is too important to him, and he's too young to uh, just leave the game entirely. Um, yeah, that was uh, <laughs> a spectacular misallocation of federal resources. Um, <laughs> come on, <laughs> like how how many man hours um, and how much money did they spend wiretapping Sean Miller? That they could have focused on, you know, far more important uh, uh, security threats. Like, come on, people, who's Sean Miller hurting? You know, who besides Andy Miller's pocketbook? Yo, I was reading Jack Ruby's Wikipedia yesterday. Guy was shady. Oh, <laughs> guy who killed Lee Harvey That's Oswald, pretty, dude. Yeah. Oh my God, he had some underworld connections. I think. I think the mob was trying to hide some stuff, man. Yeah, they killed Kennedy, and they didn't want Oswald to talk about it. I don't know. This this podcast really took a turn. I think that is absolutely the first Jack Ruby mention we've heard on this podcast, probably on any basketball podcast, if we're being real. Maybe, maybe. Also, the fact that Oswald, to make that shot, the guy had some, some pretty, pretty serious <laughs> sharpshooting skills, like... I wish he didn't do it, obviously, but the fact that he actually made the shot, like, he, he had a lot of practice or something. Like, that's a that's a difficult shot. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was like the MJ over Craig Elo of <laughs> presidential assassinations. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. It's no, it's no John Wilkes <laughs> Booth scenario. It's no, no bunny layup. That was, a, <laughs> that was a half-court heave, dude. All right. <laughs> Last thing, the refs and the players did have their long-awaited meeting over All-Star Weekend, and they put out a press release that was all rosy about they'll communicate better. Um, And then I watched the Golden State game last night, and Draymond and Durant both get texts, so nothing's changed. (laughs) I don't know. What? uh, Anything interest you with the refs, or are they still just being? They're just whining. Yeah, well, Ken Berger of Bleacher Report, um, who's a pretty plugged-in guy, uh, had a story calling the meeting, quote, underwhelming. Um, He said specifically the refs were upset at the lack of player attendance, especially the lack of star player attendance. So, no, I don't think anything's changed. And and the Warriors-Thunder game you mentioned last night um, was kind of a testament to that. Um, You know, and even you look at the no-call when – Zaza just threw himself on Into Westbrook. Westbrook, yeah. Um, you know, yeah, it doesn't sound like anything was resolved. And, uh, you know, I think you're still going to see players getting upset at whistles. You're going to see some questionable whistles. Um, and I I don't think it, either side is going to back down. Yeah, I think uh, the refs are living in a fairy tale universe if they think – LeBron's going to sacrifice whatever he wants to do in All-Star Weekend to come talk to them about ref shit. Yeah. It's just not happening. It was cool Maybe that Iguodala Jimmy Butler was supposed to be there, and he was too hungover. <laughs> he was too hungover to play in the All-Star game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Jimmy Jimmy just said, hey, guys, don't don't play me in this one. I'm good. Yeah, he just, or he just popped a few ibuprofen and slept through it. Yeah, maybe could be. Also, uh, we got to pour one out for... For Rich Cho, because he got let go by the Hornets. Oh, who yeah. in my GM rankings, I had a note that said, "This man is in a canoe with no paddle." Like, I, like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I wrote, I think I wrote, Rich Cho captains a paddleless canoe, like, because he just, you know, yeah, he's the GM, but he's not, he wasn't doing anything, he was food blogging. So, good riddance, Rich yeah. Cho. Well, and MJ just climbed out of the water and pushed his canoe into a rock. Yeah, basically. He flipped that shit over and laughed while he sparked up a cigar. Yeah, in my GM rankings, uh, which, you know, you'll learn about in a later episode, Mm -hmm. um, I had a really tough time evaluating Rich Cho because I don't know 
how much uh, turning down that the six draft picks to for Justice Winslow uh, was his decision, and how much of that was Michael Jordan really loving Frank Kaminsky. You know, if Rich Cho loved Frank Kaminsky that much too, then he's a lot lower. Um, if he was making the trying to make the right, you know, foresight decision and uh, pull off that trade and got overruled, he's higher. He's a tough one to evaluate. Yeah, no, he was. Um, we'll see. There's rumors that maybe they'll bring in Mitch Kupchak, but I don't know if he wants. To, <laughs> I don't know if he wants to duke it out with uh, MJ, and he's also like a crotchety old man, so. <laughs> That's such an NFL move. Like, this guy was entrenched in his job for way too long. He sucked. He finally got fired. And someone else just brings him back in thinking uh, it'll make a difference. Who's the guy? Uh, Who's the mustache guy? Jeff something? Jeff Fisher. Yeah, it's just Jeff Fisher. Yeah, yeah. 7 and 9 City. Yeah, maybe maybe it really is Jeff Fisher. He's just applying (laughs) under Mitch Kupchak's name. Dude, I would uh, hire Jeff Fisher as the Charlotte Hornets GM purely for entertainment value. <laughs> you know, Mitch Kupchak last seen giving uh, Kobe Bryant $48 million over the last two years of his career. Ugh. Yeah, good point. Um, what was he? Oh, unfortunately, um, uh, Don Dan, Dan, Fagan. Dan Fagan passed away. Yeah, in a car accident. Really in Colorado, sad. In Colorado near Aspen. Yeah, he's only 56. Um, yeah. Thoughts with him and his friends and family. But um, besides that, another week in the NBA goes by, and uh, we'll keep tuning in. Let's, uh, let's hope for some great action at the top and at the bottom and everywhere mm-hmm. in between. Any last thoughts, T-Bone? Wakanda forever. Wakanda forever, baby. Oh, <laughs> love it. All right, so... This has been the Association NBA Podcast. Hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Sam Ruthier. Tommy's at Woodsteen72, right? Yep. 72. I always want to say it's 73, but it's 72. Uh, You can subscribe to the podcast on Anchor.fm, which recently got a a spiffy little redesign. Or on on Apple Podcasts. Anchor.fm was very nice. Yeah, indeed. Um, Thanks to my buddies in the Woolly Mammoths, as always, for the music. For Tommy and myself... Association NBA Podcast, signing off.